Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 271 with Jason Troy. Jason is talking about making meaningful connections at work, how it's done, and you'll learn one, easy ways to facilitate more meaningful exchanges at work, two, how to address your blind spots more quickly, and three, questions to cultivate empathy. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we mention here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep271. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I hope you check out some of our cool stuff. One cool thing I'd point you to right here is our gold nugget email list. So if you're listening to the show and wish you could take notes, but you're running, you're driving, you're in the kitchen, you're cooking, you're cleaning, you're indisposed, well, we take the notes for you, send them to your inbox so you have them that way. Now, here's Jason's story. Jason is a top business and executive coach. He's a leading expert on human behavior influence sales, networking, and leadership. At the heart of his strategy is the understanding that people in your relationships are your true wealth. Everything we accomplish in life is with or through other people. Big thanks to Jason for sharing his wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Jason. Jason, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, thanks for having me on the show and speaking to your fantastic tribe. Well, I want to hear uh, first and foremost about a game and workshop you invented called Cards Against Mundanity. What's the backstory here? Well, probably now going on 18 months or more ago, I was talking to one of my mentors and they told me that I needed to try to do something that had a potential to go viral. And I had to pick something big and something I was going to go all in on. And they were just like, well, you just need to figure it out and do it, right? And although that's sort of not specific, I knew that there was some big idea. And I went through a list of things and I was like, you know, I really would like to do a TEDx speech. and But if I do one, I want to do one that's a how-to speech because then... If I finish it, I'll have something specific that I can translate to a corporate audience or entrepreneur audience, other people. So I thought to myself, the one thing that I really wanted to try to do was to try to work on some challenge people might have on culture and performance. And so I spent about three months doing research and I almost gave up because I wanted to find the research and then build the idea around that, not go in with the premise of something that I thought might work because I thought that ultimately would be flawed and that might lead me to a result that wouldn't be as good as the one that I would come up with. So I was looking through some research and I came across this professor, his name's Arthur Aaron, and he did some research back in 1997 and it was on how to make fast friends. And I was like, this is pretty interesting. So I read through the research report, which is always pretty dry. And as I was reading at the end of it, the thing that really jumped out at me was he did a game with 54 grad students that were complete strangers, had never met each other, had no knowledge of each other or anything else, sat them in front of each other, put 36 questions that they asked each other in only 45 minutes. And they measured afterwards what those people thought of the experiment. And 30% of the people rated that relationship with the complete strangers that they did not know and had any knowledge of before 
as the closest relationship in their life. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) I mean, just think about that. In 45 minutes, someone has done what most people are doing decades or a lifetime they have done in 45 minutes. And I thought to myself, like, that is absolutely extraordinary. And then in the original research study, one of the couples ended up getting married, right? But the interesting part is that's 1997 pre-social media, right? So it's not none of the distractions, but he's done it dozens of times since then. And the results have stayed pretty much the same every time that they have done it. And then the other part of it, I was going across some research by Google, and they were looking at how to build the perfect team. And they hired researchers, and they spent three years and millions of dollars, and they could not see any patterns or trends. And then one of the researchers walked in on a group, and one of the managers, the manager of the group said, I have stage four cancer, and I may not make it. I want to let you all know. And they saw the performance in that team soared over the next six months. And they figured out the only characteristic across all of Google's 180 teams was psychological safety. And that's a fancy word for vulnerability. And what that means is that they got to know each other on a deep personal level. They were able to raise controversial ideas and ask questions about people making fun of them or anything else, right? And that is the basis. And in fact, it's become so embedded in Google's culture. They have this other business called Project X. It's their secret business where they go and try these crazy experiments. And they're spending, I think, a billion dollars a year on this business. And the first thing that everyone goes through in training is psychological safety over everything else, right? So when you combine all that, I was like, okay, well, how can we do this in a group scenario? And so basically, I put together cards, right? Like cards against humanity. And you ask questions such as, you know, if you could pick one year of your life to do over, which one would it be and why? And you share this in a group full of people. And it's extremely powerful. People who have done it have great results because you start to bond people over experiences, right? You get emotionally involved with the people. And the thing about it is when you start to care about other people in the room, your performance goes up, your collaboration goes up, your communication goes up, and it's just like magic. You'll see results overnight and teams of rocketed in their results and organizations if you're a small business. So it's uh, been pretty interesting. Well, well that's, that's so cool. And I, I'm familiar with the Arthur Aaron study and I... Well, it's on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I yes. uh, with my with my girlfriend at the time. I said, "Hey, let's go through these questions," <laughs> and, and sure enough, it did facilitate closeness. And I know that um, Aaron has replicated it in terms of you know same gender and, and, and mixed gender you know cohorts and doing it. So, with your game, how many questions are there, and and to what extent are they the same versus different than Arthur Aaron's? I switch them around. They're not the same. Some of them are, and so what I do is I put it in a group full of people. And you can play, you know, on the small side, if it's four people, and I've done it up to 15, which is probably the maximum, probably 12 is probably closer to it. And I ask people to do about three rounds because I've seen that's the magic number. And the other part of it I changed is that at the end, everyone goes around and has one minute to say three things that they learned about people inside of the group. Because I found that's very powerful to be able to do that because it shows you're listening and hearing other people. And one of the things that I've researched in my TED Talk, I found is that if you have a very good to best friend in an organization, your productivity is seven times higher and your retention rate on staying in the organization is seven times 
if you have that. And so it's really to find even one person that you're really closer to out of this experiment is game changing for any team organization. And the other last thing I found is that I've done this on parallel teams and bigger organizations, meaning they haven't participated in the same room and you see the results as long as they know that they've both done it. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. Well, so then I'd like to dig in here a bit. So when you talk about coworkers being able to engage with each other and sort of create these these meaningful connections. So you have one specific tool, which is is the card game, and, and that facilitates psychological safety and good friendship formation, which is, is linked to all kinds of goodness. So uh, could you share with us, you know, in, in workplaces, what are some additional tools or approaches or, or mechanisms by which we can encourage and facilitate this kind of, of transformation to take root? Yeah. So another thing that you can do that I've had clients do is when you start off a, a weekly meeting um, of any kind is I've had people bring in pictures and have you know 30 seconds to a minute and share a story about what that picture means to them and why it's meaningful. And that builds really great connections. And, and you'll find that people who do that will, in a short period of time, will rate that meaning as the favorite meaning of the week that they have. And they'll be way more productive because they have a lot more of emotional investment inside of the organization. I found other things like if you have a meeting with people, if you allow the junior staff to go first and senior people last, you create a lot better conversations between people. And if you get them out, and I think that's pretty important. I found the other thing too that's helpful is when you have a big event is to go back and really have a brainstorm on what went right, what didn't go right, but do it in a very productive way where there is no right or wrong answer necessarily in the beginning. You start to have a brainstorm and then you whittle it down because then everyone has a voice and you get all of the people to communicate. And that's where creating psychological safety is so important because what happens is, is that a lot of the greatest ideas in the business aren't getting shared because no one's putting them forward because they don't know where to go to, right? So, you know, I'd say the last thing, like in a quick thing is people who own businesses or at a senior level often get entrenched and never really communicate with people in the organization. And so I have them walk around for 15 minutes, three times a week and just talk to people about what's going on in their life. And they immediately see significant results because it shows people that you care, right? And I think that if you start to do that, you'll have people come up to you with ideas, suggestions, they'll much more engaged because the key element of building trust, which is the fabric that holds everything together, is caring. And that is the one factor that trumps everything else. And so you've got to deeply care about the people in an organization and have everyone do that from the top down, or you're missing out on a lot of productivity. I love it, Jason. You went right to the the actionable tactics, which is great fun and so handy. And so then you sort of, I guess, synthesized a, a number of the drivers for why this stuff works into a few key principles, which you, you lay out in your book, A Social Wealth. Can you, you orient us to that a bit? Well, one of the things I did with book Social Wealth is I wanted to do a how-to guide on how to build relationships because I found that people, and they're, they're really learned behaviors. And I think a lot of people believe that they're born with these skills. And if they don't have them, like, then they won't be good at them or they're introverts or socially awkward, which is really the most majority of people. 
And so then they just opt out or they just don't have great relationships or they settle for way less than they should. So I wanted to go through and have it so people could understand that there are great ways to meet people, build these skill sets. It's just like going and getting in shape. If you go once a month, you probably won't be in great shape unless you have freaky genetics, right? So you've got to go and do that. And the reality is the most important capital we'll ever have in our life is the relationships that we build with people, right? No one had a tombstone that said, I worked a good life, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's not happening. So it's the relationships and the experience. You know, my dad passed away. I'm sorry. Um, several years ago, he, you know, shared with me in a moment at the end that he was like, you know, I should have invested more in the relationships and in people because there's a lot of regret I have with relationships in my life. And I thought to myself, I mean, that's a pretty wise word from someone who's, you know, hours away from passing away. And, you know, I truly believe that, that in the end, the only thing we're going to look back is the relationships that we have built, nothing else. So we need to spend time doing this. I think also what's happening is that you're seeing is that there is no work-life balance. There is no work-life integration. Basically, what's happening, people who work, their friends are at their job. They're one and the same. And so you've got to be able to navigate that. You've got to be able to build these relationships. You've got to understand that it, you know, how to do it and build the best ones for you and that you're going to have to change those relationships over time. Because just like, you know, there's a great quote by this movie, Stand By Me. And it said, bus, you know, friends will come in and out of your life like bus boys in a restaurant. And I really believe that. Now, you're going to have some good friends that might last your whole lifetime, but a lot of people, they won't evolve the same way you will, and they'll go in other directions. And if you can continually to hold on to those relationships, those are the ones that hurt us the most because they tend to start being 70, 30, 80, 20. And then we feel used and taken advantage of, and they take a really big emotional toll. When the reality is, is then when you get out of balance, you should have a conversation and at some point, you're just going to have to let them go if they don't readjust and swing back. Interesting. Now, you'd say 70, 30, 80, 20, you mean sort of like the give-take balance? Yeah, the give-take. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's intriguing. Could you give us an example of sort of that unfolding? So how one person maybe grows in maybe a greater or different direction than another, and as a result, there's sort of more taking that evolves and, and then how that conversation could go. I mean, I think if you know, if you look at a person who is focused on their career, on their personal growth, on create a better version of themselves, right? There's a there's not that many percentage of people that are doing those types of things, right? Jason, I'd love it if you could drop a number for us. Rough guesstimate inside your heart and mind. I probably would say five or ten percent. I think that's probably, and you know, that may be even optimistic, but I think in the challenges, if you're those people or maybe a version of that slightly down, it's at least 75% committed, committed to that. And you're around people that are very complacent or okay with what's going on and are not looking to be accountable in their life, right? And looking um, to overcome challenges and are willing to choose paths to help them get better they're going to eventually drag you down because they are looking out for themselves and they're not going to be in a situation where they're givers, right? 
I mean, and that is the challenge that we all have. So when that starts to happen, you emotionally more invest in people. You'll start calling them more. You'll start planning things more. You'll start spending more money when you go out and do stuff. Like you'll see all these things start to tide will turn, right? And you then have to have conversations with people about that and then take a hard look at the relationship you have with people. And that can either be personally or professionally, right? And then you've got to make some decisions, right? Based on their response and your interaction, if they're committed to their own growth and their own creation of a better version of themselves, or if they're fine sitting in their comfort zone and complacency, and that is where they're committed to stay. Okay, thank you. Well, so then I'd love to hear some more in terms of the skills and principles to bear in mind as you know, you're know you going about living life and doing work. How do you recommend that we, we go about you know engaging with others to to create all the, the more meaningful connections that we can make? Well, I think that the key is, is change comes from the inside out. And the first step is self-awareness, right? In understanding your own emotions and how you're reacting to situations. So I think it's important to go back and understand and find out what are your blind spots? What are the patterns that can sabotage your own success? Because if you don't, you're going to have a difficult time interacting with other people because you won't understand why you're torpedoing your relationships or not building them forward. You'll think it's someone else, luck, or all these other things when the reality is is that everyone has these challenges and you just have to start to identify them, right? So for instance, an example would be, I had a client and I did sales training a couple years ago and this woman came up and she has a pretty high pitch voice and she was in her mid thirties and was saying, you know, I want to sell better. I'm, I'm doing well. And this is in front of her peers and other managers. Right. And I was like, okay, let's talk about this. And we ended up getting out of her that she felt shame that she was really despondent. She felt she wasn't good enough. And the reason stemmed from back in high school and college, whenever she got on the phone she would, and she talked to her mother or grandmother, they would make fun of her voice. And they would say things like, you're never going to be successful in business. You're never going to get married. You need to lower the tone of your voice. And they almost always mention it to her. And it's something that's stuck in her head. So now, every time when she gets on the phone with clients, that tape is running in the back of her head. So you could tell her how to build better relationships, but that's not the issue in and of itself, right? It's the fact that you've got to turn that on its head and eliminate that because otherwise she's going to be maybe a little bit more successful, but not much because those things are going to continually hold her back, right? So that self-awareness and fixing that issue and challenge is going to go a significant amount of way because then you can teach people the next step, which is more social awareness and, ha- and the emotions, thoughts, and behaviors, you can sense them in other people and better relate to them, right? And that is how you build faster, quicker relationships. But if you can't relate to yourself, then you're not going to be able to do with other people, if that makes sense. Oh, understood. Well, so then what are some of your top suggestions for getting that self-awareness and surfacing and addressing blind spots quickly? Well, the challenge is you really ultimately need help from someone else because our brain is wired to keep us safe. It is not wired to keep us happy. 
So it blocks out these things. Now, and, and you can start doing is asking yourself, okay, well, what behavior do I want to change? Right? The next question is, is that to someone else saying, okay, what are the stories that I made up in my head about that behavior? For instance, if it's, I want to lose weight right in the new year. And the story is, well, you know, I can't lose weight because people are constantly making fun of me. People won't interact with me, right? Because I'm overweight and that's holding me back, right? Okay, well, that's great. Well, then you start to look in what emotions ours is coming up from, right? What emotions are you feeling when you feel that you aren't losing weight and that you aren't making progress? And then you start to battle and grapple with that. And then you start asking yourself questions around, you know, what are the limiting beliefs that come up when I feel those emotions, right? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not whatever it is. And then you ask yourself, when's the first time that I've ever felt that way that I remember? Right. And you really have to push yourself because then that starts to jog a memory in your head about when was the first time you felt like that, because then you start to trigger patterns and show you what's gone on and when and how long and pervasive this has been. Right. And you can start linking it right back. And then you have to go back up the stack and you have to say, okay, if weight was not an issue and I was in a great shape, okay, well then what beliefs would I have around that? Well, I'm enough, right? I'm awesome. What emotions would I be feeling, right? What stories would I have around the world around me? And then you can start reverse engineering what it is and how you're feeling and then start to read that, take a look at it and then take actions. But the other part of it too is that I found that there are two things that people mistake. One is motivation and drive, right? And motivation is very fleeting, right? It's like we've all read a book or seen a movie or done something and we've been like, man, it's awesome. Like, that's great. I love that. And the next day, nothing happens, right? Well, the difference is drive is you understand the why behind whatever you're doing and you will do that, right? For instance, you will run when it is 10 degrees outside. You'll not make an excuse that it's too cold because the drive is much more powerful, but you have to ask yourself questions. So why am I doing this? Why is that goal or what I want? Why do I want it? And then you have to ask yourself the harder question, what am I lacking in my life that that goal is going to help me with? Because once you do that, then in both of those questions, you can move forward and you'll be really successful because now you'll really, you'll be holding up basically an accountability mirror to yourself and getting to the real answers instead of letting yourself off the hook and dealing at the surface level, right? Then you can start really having much greater self-awareness and you can create massive change in your life really quickly. Oh, excellent. So from that point of having collected some self-awareness, what are some of your top suggestions for building that social awareness? So I would say one, you need to practice empathy because I think when you can practice empathy with people, um, you can start to understand their viewpoint and you will find common ground much quicker. Right? I tell all my clients and my conversations with my friends, I said, you've got two choices in life. You can be right or you can be happy. Rarely can you be both. So which one do you want? Yeah, And when you cut it down like that, then you have to realize that is a significant part of life, right? 
And I think when you have more empathy, the other thing that happens is that you're able to have more difficult conversations with people. Because really, that's the requirement for being a great leader or manager is having difficult conversations when you don't want to have them. Because then what happens is, is that you get a greater understanding of the people around you of the challenges, of emotions, and then you're on the same page. And that really is game-changing because then you don't have this stuff bottled up for months, years, or whatever, or never have it, right? And then that will make a significant conversation. You know, with empathy, there's listening skills, right? I mean, that's a requirement to do that. I think you start doing a few of these things, you're going to see significant changes in how that you are, people respond to you, how people interact with you, how people want to help you, because it will be different than how they're interacting with other people. Okay. Now, when you you talk about some of these empathy elements, do you have any favorite questions that you, you use either to ask yourself internally or to ask the person that you're speaking with that sort of naturally cultivates more empathy? Well, I like to ask people a question. In my head, I'm always, I try to ask myself, well, what would the other person be thinking or feeling? Not how I would be doing it, right? And then that helps me put me in a frame that takes me out of my defensive posture. And it also puts me more in the moment. The other, you know, the other thing too, is I try to listen without formulating my counter argument. Because if you do that, well, that's what people do typically. They're not really listening and they don't really hear what the other person is saying, right? So I try to get, and I ask clarifying questions, right? So if someone says to me, you know what, Jason, I'm really upset with you because you didn't show up for my party or event. And I'd be like, okay, well, I'll tell them why. And then I'll be like, okay, well, is there another reason? Is it because you feel like I haven't been showing up? And then I tried, and if they say yes or no, I try to ask a clarifying question like, okay, well, there's something else going on here, right? We need to dig deeper in order to figure out because I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I just don't know. And I need your help to understand why it is that you're feeling this way and what actions that I can take to make the situation better, right? So you have to dig down and keep asking why and ask clarifying questions. And then I think you can get at the heart of the matter because usually it's several layers deep. Well, yeah, and, and that takes some courage too because it could be like, well, because Jason, you always do this. And, well, you tell me, we could role play a little bit. Well, because Jason, you always do this and you're one of my best friends and you said you'd make it and then, and you didn't. And so it just makes me kind of wonder what can I really count on you for? And it just makes things feel pretty darn insecure. Yeah. And then, I think what you'd say to someone in that situation is that, you know, I really, I hear what you're saying and being late and not showing up is a problem. So I'm making a commitment to you that if I say that I am going to come, I'm going to come. And if I can't make it, I'm going to tell you I can't make it and not feel bad because the problem is I feel bad if I can't make it. So I just always say yes. And I need to draw more clear boundaries and communicate them better. Because the way that I've been acting is not helpful. And it's not considerate of your feelings, your effort, your time and everything else. And I have to be accountable for that. And what I like about this is it sounds almost like, well, yeah, of course, we should always do this. But it's, you know, not as much common practice as it may be common sense. It isn't at all. (laughs) It it isn't at all. And this is what, and the problem when you don't do this is that people harbor ill will and you don't know what it is. 
And that, if you're in a business setting, that undermines what's going on because then people's retention goes down. They sabotage projects. They don't put forth their best effort. They don't help people collaborate. I mean, all this stuff is a chain reaction. And the same thing, obviously, in your personal life. So, and the key thing is you have to be accountable. And that requires you to lower your ego. Right. And you're going to have to put it in a different place and realize that you don't have all the answers. And you are on a journey and you're going to have to pivot constantly in your life. Now, if you're unwilling to be in that situation and you'd rather be right than happy, well, then you're going to be getting very limited results in your life and you're going to live a very, very small life. Okay. So big stakes. Jason, uh, thanks for this. Tell me, is there anything else you really want to make sure to highlight before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I would say that if you're going to go out and start building relationships, both personally and professionally, the key thing is to get in the right rooms of people. Because I feel like if you're not there, then it's a waste of time. And the places that I love to go that are gold mines, right, are charity organizations, because they have movers and shakers, people who are socially aware, they care, are successful people, cultural places such as museums, symphony, opera, and the other place which may have a mix of people, but at least they have things that you'd be interested in as interest groups, right? Like running groups, art groups, painting, book clubs, whatever it might be. Those are great places to meet people because you have things in common. And I think a group scenario is helpful because then you can meet a lot of people quickly in those organizations and people have their defenses down. So they're much more open and it's much easier to meet them and to build relationships. And obviously that helps you both personally and professionally. All right, thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, so the quote that I really like is a quote from Maya Angelou said, you know, I've learned that people forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that unless we really understand the true role of emotions in our life, and being able to relate to other people and how powerful it is, we're setting ourselves up to live a really small life because people, it's about how you make them feel when you engage and interact with them. It's not an intellectual contest. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Really, I would say anything by Brene Brown. She's a great author on leadership and management. And She's a shame researcher, and she has the top five most downloaded TED Talk of all time called The Power of Vulnerability. And she really talks about a lot of these issues on shame, vulnerability, how to build better relationships. And I think and get at the real nuggets that are going to help you both in your professional and personal life. And every time I hear her speak, and I've heard her several times, I mean, she's just brilliant in what she does. So I would highly recommend, and she has quite a few book, books out, so you really can't go wrong with any of them. So, Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite habit, something that helps you be awesome at your job? Again, I use two things. One is an accountability mirror to ask myself every day, what am I opting out of doing and why? Because that helps me keep real in what's going on and not procrastinate and put stuff off. The other thing is I just go old fashioned. I use Google Calendar and I schedule everything in right for the week. I sit down on Friday or Saturday or Sunday at the absolute latest and put in time when I'm going to work out. I'm going to go do meetings after at night or whatever I'm going to do so I can see what I need to do 
and when I need to wake up and the rest of the things that I need to go during the week. Because I feel like you'd be way more productive when you know what you have to do and you'll procrastinate a lot less because you'll understand what's possible and what's not based on the calendar that you have. And also, if you don't have any free time, you're going to find out that you're going to turn into someone in business who's very tactical. And you're probably putting out all these fires and not being strategic, which means you're not really working to your capability and the organization itself is suffering. So you got to block out time and you got to use it. Thank you. And is there a particular nugget that you share that seems to really connect with folks and and gets quoted back to you frequently? Again, I, I think that the one thing I found from doing my TEDx talk with people is that you will build relationships a hundred times faster if you're vulnerable. The key is, is that everyone wants everyone else to be vulnerable, but they don't want to be vulnerable themselves. So what you have to do is be vulnerable first and share something, even very small, because when you're vulnerable and you share, people unconsciously believe that it's safe for them to share because you led with it. And they've been taught that their life when people do that. So be vulnerable, lead with something, and ask really great questions. The questions I like to ask people initially when I meet them is like, you know, what are you most excited about in your life right now? Like, or a question, it might be like, what are you passionate about at work? Or what are you passionate about in your life? Because it gets to the core things that people care about. And you can ask that during a first conversation. You don't need to wait. Waiting around is just because you feel like that's a story in your head that needs to happen. Because I do it all the time. And it leads to way better conversations. And I speed up the relationship building process really fast because I'm getting to real conversations. When I meet someone the first time, I'm not waiting to the third, fourth, fifth, or 10th. Excellent. Thank you. And, and Jason, if folks want to learn more, get in touch with you, where would you point them? So they can go to my website at uh, jasontroy.com. That's Jason and last name is treu.com. And then if they want, they can go download the game that we talked about in the beginning, Cards Against Mundanity at cardsagainstmundanity.com. And start playing it. It's free. And uh, you get results and you can even play it with your friends and you can play it with your wife. So you have a Valentine's Day thing. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I think it's true and it may seem trite, but all growth comes outside of your comfort zone. So if you don't feel like you're doing something that's scaring or making you feel awkward, you aren't really pushing yourself. And you'll find the people that are the most successful are learning to deal with more and more uncertainty, but dealing with it in a healthy way. And that requires years and years. So you might as well get started now and just you're going to see your life go in some magnificent directions. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for sharing this great stuff. I wish you tons of luck and hope that you you keep on rocking with your coaching and your uh, mundanity breaking and all that you're up to. Yes. Thanks a lot. And thanks for having me on the show. I got such a kick out of how Jason uh, modified the results of that study and, you know, mixed and matched and adjusted and added his own things to create the card game, Cards Against Mundanity. And I encourage you to check them out. It's pretty cool. Even if you're not quite sure that'll fly immediately at work, it can be fun to do with family or 
spouse or buddy and, and just sort of see what, what gets popping, the conversations that start. And you might realize, oh, hey, this, maybe this wouldn't be too much for our company after all to introduce that there. So it's free. It's cool. I've enjoyed playing with it a little bit. Hope you do too. And I also hope you'll push subscribe if you have not already. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Ryan Carson from Treehouse. And he is talking about how to learn new skills and stuff, making it happen. Speaking from his experience, seeing many, many people learn how to adopt the skills of software coding. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.